I'm going to talk today about the oil in the lamps, and in order to get there, I have to dig into the metaphor a little bit, so um, forgive me as I work my way into that metaphor. Uh, I'm going to start by acknowledging that as we move through November, we move into the apocalyptic literature of the scriptures, uh, end times, judgment, and so the scriptures are starting to reflect those more sober or even terrifying themes. Uh, You have uh, Joshua here talking about how jealous God is and how if you turn to God and turn away, it may not go very well for you. And certainly in this gospel reading, the the foolish virgins are are not met with a lot of uh, sensitivity or compassion, that it's really clear that there are consequences to their foolishness and that they can't escape those consequences. And that comes across as pretty harsh in our modern-day uh, from our, to our modern-day sensibilities. And yet, this season reminds me that life is harsh. And I do think that we in North America, who are accustomed to such comfort and ease and peace and security, um, sometimes make the mistake when it comes to our faith life that, that we identify the, uh, the kingdom of God with essentially being in bubble wrap, where nothing bad could possibly happen to us. It's the absence of pain or sorrow or grief that is what we long for. And I think that that does a disservice to the actual uh, biblical material and the material of our faith, which is more about an attitude and an approach to all the aspects of life, both the joys and the sorrows and the, the happiness and the suffering. And certainly life always has had and continues to have consequences, real terrible consequences, for, uh, for good and bad decisions. And there is such a thing as wisdom, where the wise make good decisions, and these good decisions play out in bounty and peace and prosperity and good consequences in general. And the, the flip side of that is that bad choices and foolishness play out in pain and misery and suffering. And so choose wisdom is one of the great messages of our tradition. Choose the Lord, choose wisdom, choose the right, choose the good. So the image of the bridesmaids is an apocalyptic image. It's set in the the early ages of the church where they were pretty clear that there was going to be a literal apocalypse and second coming of Christ, possibly within their own lifetimes. And what would happen when that, uh, that occurred would be some cosmic judgment and separation of sheep to goats and, and the, uh, the wise and the foolish and the righteous and the unrighteous. And there would be blessings for the righteous and punishments for the unrighteous. And particularly in Matthew's gospel, this comes through very strongly, this, this great divide between the righteous and the unrighteous and the consequences for each of them. Now, as we have had 2,000 years of Christianity, I personally no longer pay much attention to this notion of a once-for-all apocalypse with Jesus coming down on the clouds in a literal way. I'm not prepared to throw out the apocalyptic literature. In fact, I've come to appreciate it more, but that's because my understanding of the day of the Lord has become uh, a little different. Uh, the, the day of the Lord is, is, a, is more of a of a way of looking at how God engages with this created order, where uh, if in terms of time you have these two Greek words, you have chronos and kairos, 
And you have chronos as that metronomic time that goes in one direction and then you can measure and count and subdivide. And kairos is this notion of eternity that breaks through into chronos so that there are certain moments where great action or where the work of God breaks through into ordinary creation. So they are called kairos moments. And so the organization called kairos is built on that premise that there are times when God's vision, God's kingdom, God's will breaks through into ordinary experience. And that moment is a, uh, a coming of Jesus, um, is, a, uh, is a, a coming of the Lord, a day of the Lord. So the image of the bridegroom coming to the wedding is one of the great New Testament images of that day of the Lord. And if we interpret it as those moments where God's will breaks through into human experience and human history, we can start to see where I'm going to start from with this image of the oil in the lamps. The message is simple. If you have oil in your lamp, your lamp will be lit and you'll be part of the party. You'll be invited in to the celebration. And if you don't have oil in your lamp, you'll be somewhere off, uh, uh, off screen and you will miss the day of the Lord. And when you get back in, it'll be too late. And the, so the, the image is of, of being attentive and ready for those moments when God breaks through into everyday experience or being so distracted or depleted that you're not able to be there for it, even when it's happening right in front of you. And this, of course, is part of the admonition to the spiritual life, that if we attend to our spirituality, then we'll be attentive to those times when something bigger than the merely human and mundane is taking place. This is that great question that Jane and I have blathered on at you about for years and years. Where was God for you today? As an encouragement to keep those lamps lit, to be attentive, to see when the bridegroom may be coming into human experience and not missing it and celebrating it in it and participating in it. So, now that you get the framework, I can talk about that oil. That's a wonderful image. It's fuel. And so the question for me and for you is, what is the fuel that we need to keep from being depleted? And what are the mechanisms by which we keep that fuel topped up? Uh, certainly in this pandemic, uh, as we deal with stress and uh, possibly depression, anxiety, worry, um, extra work, fatigue, these are real questions about keeping gas in the tank, keeping energy in reserve um, and not depleting it. Uh, certainly I've had my own struggles in recent times of maintaining that energy level and not having it depleted. And so when I think of the kinds of things that allow me to keep oil in my tank, um, it, they are, they are the, the cluster of concerns that get grouped under our discussion of things in a rule of life. The things you do as a rule that keeps you going. And they're, they're related to mental health, but they're not exactly the same. Mental health is about staying functional. And we do need to stay functional, and we need to attend to our mental health. We need to attend to our physical health. But with paying attention to where God is breaking through, that's a spiritual concern, which is a little off-center from that simple mental health thing. And the, the way to measure it is not whether we are functional but whether we are engaged ethically in the way that our hearts are drawn to. 
that we know in our deepest places the, ki- the kinds of ways that we want to relate to our neighbors, that we want to relate to people in our family, the way we want to re- relate to strangers, the way we want to relate even to political opponents, that we know in our hearts the virtues that we want to live into. And if we can't live into those virtues, it's because our tanks have been depleted. We just can't even. We can't anymore. We're too tired. I've, I've had it. I'm done. Those are the, the expressions of having an empty tank. And even as we say them, we know at some level that we are not living into who we really are and what our call is to be. So in order to keep that tank replenished, we have to attend to our rule of life. And um, there are a couple of basic elements to a rule of life. At some level, it involves prayer. On a daily level, the great tradition of daily prayer, um, the daily office here in our own Anglican tradition where we have a a whole set of resources to have a rich and um, fulfilling daily practice of prayer. Um, daily attention to that kind of thing. Um, But there's also things like uh, ongoing learning and growing. And sometimes that learning is academic. We we need to know more about our faith so our faith can feed us intellectually better. Um, But sometimes they're more about practical things, um, about habits of uh, attitude and and, uh, affect that we need to attend to. And so our our study and our growth may be that simple question, even as we suffer and struggle, where God is in the struggle, so that there may be an opportunity for us to grow in a way that we would not grow if we were not challenged in such a manner. So there is prayer, there is study, and then, of course, there is ministry. There is action. Because faith is not complete unless we start focusing on the needs of the other. And in the pandemic, there's no shortage of that. If we are active and able, we can serve others in our work. We can serve others through volunteering. I note that Christmas is coming up, and one of the great questions is how to safely uh, do works of charity in a pandemic. And I know that the various uh, agencies and groups that are connected to us are figuring out how to do donations and, um, uh, and, and do a little distribution of goods and food and good cheer um, in this cold, dark season. But even if all we can do is pray, we can pray for others. We can attend in our prayer life, not just to our own spiritual well-being, but to the well-being of others. And so that rule of life becomes a way of keeping the tank refilled as we go through our daily life. Having said all that, what became really clear to me recently is that Adding more expectations in a time when we're already stressed may in fact deplete the tank rather than fill it up. So whatever our rule of life is, it shouldn't just be a set of shoulds that that allow us to feel bad about ourselves because we're not doing the daily office and we're not exercising and we're not taking care of ourselves and so on and so forth. So it has to be achievable. It has to be manageable. But it does have to be real and it does have to be disciplined. And this is my final point, which brings in that that harsh uh, admonition from Joshua, that Joshua is really clear that you have a choice between serving the Lord and serving other gods. And particularly in times of stress, it's easy to turn to those other gods. It's easy to devote our attention and, and live for 
just making ourselves feel good because what we want is a release from the pain or the anxiety or the suffering. And so we turn to food or alcohol or, or whatever it is that, that makes us feel good in the short term but in the long term drags us down worse and worse and depletes the tank even further, doesn't fill it up. And so the rule of life that orients us towards God and what God is doing in the world and in our own hearts is the only thing in the end that will keep our tank full and allow us to be attentive to when God is in fact breaking through into our world, into our history, and into our own lives. Thanks be to God. Amen.